the thing that's most frequently missing, surprisingly, is the ask. So you go through this whole presentation and tell me how great your company is and why I should invest. And then don't ask me for an investment. Don't tell me uh, how much money you're seeking, what your round details are, all of that. That's missing from more decks than you would imagine. So I would say always ask for what you want, either at the beginning or the end of the deck. Let me know what it is that you're you're looking for, what you want from me as the investor, right? And what the terms of those that investment is. And then I'd say the other thing that's most on the frustrating side, and, and again, something that's frequently missing, is customer traction is one of the biggest things that we look for. And I like to tell the story of uh, one of our portfolio companies, the first time I ever saw their pitch deck, there was a quote on every slide from a potential customer saying, we want this product, this is what we'd be willing to pay for the product, this is, you know? And so that told me immediately, this company has traction with their customers, they've spoken to their customers, customers have agreed to let them be quoted in the pitch deck, that means you have good relationships with them. And so that's a great way to signal to venture capitalists or investors that your company is, is worthwhile to invest in because you have that customer traction already. Welcome back to the Cold Star Project. I'm Jason Canigan, the founder of this thing, Cold Star Technologies, a data science and process improvement company. And I'm here with Megan Crawford, who is the managing partner of Space Fund. This is season three. We are talking to venture capitalists and investors who focus on space companies. Uh, she is not only the managing partner of Space Fund, but the co-founder of a new space marketing company called Brand Delta V, which uh, I'm gonna ask you a couple questions about, and the host of her own podcast, the Mission Eve podcast, uh, which I am interested in exploring with you as well. Uh, she's a member of several boards in uh, the space business and has an MBA from Rice Business, uh, Jones Graduate School of Business. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jason. It's a pleasure. All right. So I want to um, focus in on space investment. What does a space company mean to you at Space Fund? How do you define it? So um, we like to keep that definition fairly broad um, so that we can be as inclusive of as many companies as possible. The bigger our pipeline, uh, the more opportunities we have to find good investments. Um, but you know, a lot of people think of space com think of space companies as you know satellite companies, companies who put things into space or who do things into space. Um, and there's a lot more to the space ecosystem than that. The primary product that we get from space right now is data. And so, how does that data get back down from space? And then, how is it made usable for the humans here on Earth? Um, and so that includes a lot of companies that are um, that look more like software companies, for instance, than a space company, but they're dealing with space data. Um, and there's a lot of uh, you know terrestrial support services and, and things like that as well that are um, part of that space ecosystem. So um, you know we like to look at any company that's creating value um, related to space in any way. Okay. <laughs> so this could be a fun question. Uh, what's the most frustrating thing about reviewing potential space investments for you? Like you're looking through a pitch deck and you're like, oh my gosh, they've missed this again. What, what is that thing? So yeah, interestingly, um, both with my experience um, at the fund and um, I have uh, for about a decade now been running something called the New Space Business Plan Competition, which is the world's mm -hmm. oldest space-focused business plan competition. So. Um, I've read over a thousand space business plans pitches over the years, so I've, I've literally seen it all, right? <laughs> Probably seen more of these than just about anybody on the planet. So, um, and I'd say the thing that's most frequently missing, surprisingly, is the ask. 
So you go through this whole presentation and tell me how great your company is and why I should invest. And then don't ask me for an investment. Don't tell me uh, how much money you're seeking, what your round details are, all of that. That's missing from more decks than you would imagine. Um, so I would say always ask for what you want, um, either at the beginning or the end of the deck. Let me know what it is that you're you're looking for, what you want from me as the investor, right? And what the terms of those that investment is. And then I'd say the other thing that's um, most like on the frustrating side, and, and again, something that's frequently missing is um, customer traction is one of the biggest things that we look for. And I like to tell the story of uh, one of our portfolio companies, the first time I ever saw their pitch deck, there was a quote on every slide from a potential customer saying, we want this product, this is what we'd be willing to pay for the product, this is, you know, and so that told me immediately, this company has traction with their customers, they've spoken to their customers, customers have agreed to let them be quoted in the pitch deck, that means you have good relationships with them. Um, and so that's a great way to signal to venture capitalists or investors that um, that your company is, is worthwhile to invest in because you have that customer traction already. And so um, one of the things I always tell our business plan com uh, competitors as well is that you know the best image you can put in your slide deck is an image of your product in use by a delighted customer, right? Mm -hmm. So, so talk to me about your customers and then ask me for what you want. Those are the two suggestions I have for anybody putting together a, de a deck. Amazing. It seems, it seems so straightforward, doesn't it? It does. Uh, but the customer development side is often missing. Folks uh, can go find some Steve Blank stuff for that and, and put it into action. But I love the idea of having a quote from the customer, a picture of the customer using the product. Uh, because it's undeniable proof of concept, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. But well, I, and, you know, you can have the best technology in the world, but as we say, if the dogs don't want the dog food, <laughs> you know, nobody's, nobody's going to buy it, right? So in order to make a business, you have to have sales. And so tell me who you're going to sell to and convince me that they want to buy your product. Right. I didn't know until I'd done a couple of these interviews that you could dig in as an interviewer. I could dig in a little more closely to the stories uh, of of the investments that you've done. I didn't think I thought those would be off limits, but I'm learning that no, actually, uh, under circumstances, you know, we're, we're still keeping privacy in mind and whatnot uh, and compliance. We can we can dig into that. But th so the idea of like the the ask being missing that is genuinely a surprise. I knew about the the customer development stuff missing and oh we've got this great technology. Well, who cares? Apparently, no one yet, right? But the not knowing how much money you want to ask for. I would like to know if if you have gone through the process of talking to folks about that and helping them with it. Uh, and what what their mindset was like was it just well I'm gonna dump this onto Megan's lap and she'll figure it out for me she's the expert or was there something else at work there well I find that there's usually one of two reasons that the ask is not included one they don't know what to ask for right maybe this is their first fundraise and, and they don't know how to ask or what to ask for and they're looking to the investors to to set the terms um, and I'd say that that's very dangerous because Although I don't think of myself as a vulture capitalist, there are a lot of them out there that will, um, will give you terms that aren't good for you. Mm -hmm. so I'd say talk to your attorney, talk to some advisors, figure out what the best terms are for your company before you go out and talk to investors. Don't let the investors come to you with the terms. 
So that's kind of the, the first bucket of, of people who don't include the ask is because they just don't know what to ask for, right? And then the second group is, for some reason, they think that that information should be confidential, right? That they don't want to publicize that. Um, but, you know, the deck that you're sending to the investor should absolutely include that information. And if for some reason you don't want to put it in the deck because you're afraid the deck might get shared with people that you don't want for some reason to know that information, include it in the email or the phone call conversation that you have with the investor um, leading up to sharing that deck. So, um, you know, if you want to keep it private, fine, but you have to talk to the investor about that. That's the whole conversation you're having with the investor. So, uh, so be sure and include it somewhere if it's not in your deck. Fascinating. Yeah. If I'm going around shopping for money for people, I'm going to want to give them all the information that they need to make a decision. So yes, folks, please include that. And Megan just gave you an out if you want to keep it mostly confidential. So <laughs> very, very interesting, almost baffling to me. <laughs> all right. So uh, with, on the customer development side, uh, obviously you saw, hey, there's a need for uh, some massage adjustment uh, for the positioning of companies and the marketing message of these companies. And so you co-founded this new space marketing company, Brand Delta V. Let's, let's talk a bit about uh, what work you're doing with that, uh, where you believe that working with you fits in for space founders. So, um, yeah, that's, so one of the things over the years, um, you know, over the last decade, working with tons and tons of space startups, this uh, marketing and PR tends to be an area that these teams um, don't have any experience in. Um, you, you know, brilliant technical founders, maybe some great business leaders on the team, uh, but there's very few people who have expertise in marketing and PR in the new space industry because it is so new. And so um, my co-founder and I saw a real need in the market for this several years ago and stood up Brand Delta V to help um, specifically these startup companies. And so you hear a lot of times about startups hiring a fractional CFO, for example, because you don't need a full-time CFO. Well, most of these startups don't need a full-time marketing and PR person. They just need a little help getting a press release out or somebody to help uh, build their website or, or whatever, right? And so Brand Delta V was set up to help those startups who, who aren't quite ready for a full-time marketing and PR person that definitely um, need to start getting the, the word out about their company. And so um, very, very focused on only new space startups. So the entire team at Brand Delta V is really good at working with, with those groups and understanding the, the technical and business challenges that they're facing because we are so such a boutique and focused firm. Um, and so my role there is as, as founder, um, I'm not as much involved in the day-to-day. -day. I do have some, uh, some clients that I work with that are the kind of personal friends. And so I, I still, you know, uh, work, on, work on their stuff. But um, for the most part, that's, uh, I've got a great team there that's, um, that's just doing excellent work uh, across the new space industry. Okay. Uh, now, it's great for you and I to sit back from our uh, vantage points and go, you need this kind of help. But can you share with me maybe a, a story of working with a client there or uh, what kind of things have you heard or seen founders do where they, they have realized on their own, oh, I need this kind of help? What kind of situations do they get in? What kind of things are going through their heads when, uh, when they realize, oh, I need to go talk to a brand Delta V? Um, usually the thing that, that sparks it for most of our clients is that they, they want to get some news out and they don't know how to do that. So whether it's issuing a press release or doing an email blast or a blog post, um, they don't 
you know, they they don't, especially with the press release, they I have no idea how to get a press release out on the wire, right? You need kind of need an expert for that. And so a lot of times that'll be the entry point uh, where they come to us. They say, we've just closed a round, for example, and we, we need to get the news out. How do we do that? Um, and then that'll frequently parlay into other work for us. Things like, well, let's help clean up your website so that we can also post this on your website in, in a way that's aesthetically pleasing and search engine optimized, for example, you know, um, and things that they maybe haven't thought about, right? So, um, but yeah, it's usually, uh, they come to us when they need to get some news out and then we, we go from there. Uh, we've also worked with startups who have come to us that are you know, very, very early stage and they say, we don't know what to name our company. How do we figure out how to name this thing, right? And so, you know, we have them come to us at the very beginning sometimes with those kinds of questions too. So um, it really kind of runs the gamut, but you know, the, the news part of it and the press relations and, and getting people out into the press is something that, uh, that we do a lot for our clients to, to help them start getting the word out. And then we can go from there and, and work on marketing materials and um, you know, all, all, the, all the rest. Okay, fantastic. This is Jason Gannigan from Cold Star Tech, and I'm excited to share with you a new offer from Cold Star that we are bringing out to help both space founders and venture capitalists who fund space companies. And it's on two levels. The lower level is a VC who is looking at possibly funding a space company, but they just don't get it. Right? And a lot of tech founders want to come out and create some sort of technical capability, but they do not understand business. And so you'll look and you'll go, where's the customer here? Where's the business model? And they'll go, huh? But I want to make rockets or something, right? And, and it's really cool. Well, that, as we know from the dot-com era, is not a viable business model. And so you bring us in. We've got great technical expertise on the space side. Folks who have done this sort of assessment before, like our technical engineering advisor, Dr. Rick Fleeter, myself in the process engineering field, plenty of other people with brains to look at this problem so that you don't have to blow your brains out trying to figure out how to make this work. And on the company side, it's a benefit for them because we will show them the roadmap to how you're going to get funded, how, how you will want to fund them, what changes to make to get VCs excited about putting money in. And so that's good for you. Right? The second level is at a, a deeper and higher level at the same time. It is for venture capitalists who have uh, given a seed round to a company a space company, and that has gone on for a little while, six months, a year, something like that. And it is time, as uh, COVID has made it, to double down or get out. Those are pretty much the choices, right? It's time to invest further in a thing we already know, which seems to be the direction VCs are going in right now. Uh, they don't seem to want to look at new things uh, or, or stop, just kill the project. And so the good news is, in that situation, there's a lot more going on. There's more meat for Cold Star experts to get in and, and analyze, right? You're going to have processes in place, whether they know it or not. We'll be able to flowchart those and, and maybe accurately document them for the first time so we can get some kind of value chain going in the organization. We'll be able to test whether the leadership is the right group of people or whether you're missing something, the strategic direction, the business model, all this stuff. So. If this sounds interesting to you, reach out to us. You can email me at jason at coldstartech.com or just connect with me and message me on LinkedIn. That's probably the best way to do it. And uh, I am excited to talk to you. The, the kind of transformation that we're able to offer here is beyond anything you'll see out there. And as a VC, this will save you so much time and energy, right? Like if you're a VC and you've got 100 companies to look at, you've got three days a year 
<laughs> to, to look at each one, maybe, right? That's not really good enough, is it? Wouldn't it be better to have uh, experienced, expert space people who understand space, right? Look at this investment and tell you, here's a grade, right? Here are several grade areas. Is this thing ready to pour gasoline on the fire? Or is it just going to go up in smoke? This is Jason Kanig from Cold Star Tech. Let's get back to the interview. Well, let's get back to Space Fund for a moment. So many founders would like to get beyond building shareholder value and, uh, and get to what we call an exit from their creation. Uh, from my perspective, until I was on your webinar last Friday, <laughs> it looked like uh, an exit was a difficult outcome to reach in, in new space, right? Uh, you don't hear a lot of stories about it, but uh, you were talking about like over a hundred examples and, uh, and some, you know, the average age was six or seven years to get there, which is not too long. Um, you know, some space funds run 10 years, 12 years, right? So it's, it's well within that window. So I'd like to hear more from you about space exits uh, and why you're enthusiastic about the possibilities. Yeah, great, thank you. And so it's interesting that you mentioned you had no idea that there were that many exits. I didn't either until we sat down to do the research. Nobody, you know, this was a question I had had and uh, like with much of the research that Space Fund does, I say, well, I believe XYZ to be true or I think this might be a thing and we go to look it up and there's nobody's ever done the research. So we have to go and do the research to prove it out. And that was the case with, the, with these exits as well. And so in the last two decades, we found over a hundred aerospace exits. And so that's aerospace, which is a broader bucket than new space. And so in that aerospace bucket, um, some of the companies that exited were 100 years old uh, they are, or more. So that's not a new space company, right? Um, and so in order to kind of, uh, you know, uh, further define what new space is and, and just kind of make a break in the data, we defined a new space company as any company that was founded since the year 2000. Um, so the company that's less than 20 years old. Um, and amongst that data set, there were 49 exits. And uh, the average age of exit, as you mentioned, was seven years, which is well within the lifetime of, of most venture capital funds. Uh, so that's very heartening to know that, that uh, these companies are exiting in, in a realistic timeline, not in 100 years, <laughs> but in seven. Um, and uh, of those 49 exits, only four were public offerings. And so that's interesting as well to know that the majority of the exits are imminent mergers and acquisitions. Um, and those acquisitions are coming from a, a variety of companies. But you mentioned the webinar that we held uh, last week, and our guest on the webinar was Dylan Taylor from Voyager Space Holdings. Um, and he is acquiring space companies. That's exactly what Voyager does. Um, and they're acquiring companies in the 10 to 50, 10 to $50 million revenue range, um, which is a, you know, a good, although you can't equate revenue with age, um, in a lot of cases, companies in that revenue bucket are about this five to seven year old company. Um, so again, right in line with what a fund like ours is looking to see. Um, Dylan's made one acquisition already. He said they have nine others in their pipeline. They'll be announcing their next one in July. Um, and so what we're seeing is, is in, with Dylan being a, a big part of it, but with others as well, we're starting to see that M&A activity increase in pace. And you're starting to see some of the first wave of successful new space startups to make some acquisitions as well. Rocket Lab recently announced the um, acquisition of Sinclair Interplanetary. Um, and you're gonna start to see some of these other more mature uh, new space startups start to make some acquisitions as well. 
And so that's increasing in pace um, every year and, and making that exit environment more and, and more robust, which from our fund perspective is, is excellent. Okay, something that just struck me uh, is the <laughs> is the sale of DSI or Bradford? Or, you know, to uh, is it to Bradford or was Planetary Resources to them? That is the exit. That was that was an exit. Okay, and the same with with Planetary Resources. Okay, yeah. to uh, the oh whatever it was a blockchain firm or something. Yeah, I was like, huh? When I saw okay, so those do count, and I'm like, eh, those are not great examples of exits. I don't think um, not every exit is a great one. <laughs> You know, right. some are better than others. Um, right. yeah, the the so, DSI so. one was was not awful. Um, the yeah. planetary resources one, you could maybe say something different about, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So not all exits are fantastic, but right. but some have been. Um, you know, and so mm. uh, like the sale of uh, Skybox to Google, for example, that was mm. a fantastic one. Um, uh, you know, uh, five hundred million dollars was, I believe, what Skybox was sold to Google for before it became Terabella. But Right. Um, so there's examples of these really excellent exits as well. And, and that's, the, that's the case in any industry. They're going to kind of run the gamut, right? Mm -hmm. Well, I remember one point from that webinar that I learned from you was that the companies didn't need to necessarily raise a lot of money before they exited. They might have raised $4 million and then they get you know, exited in their 20 million or 100 million or whatever. So right. that was, that and was then, curious. And, and then in other cases, like Virgin Galactic has raised over a billion dollars before they did their reverse merger IPO. And so, um, you know, it, again, it runs, runs the gamut from end to end. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, if people want to know more, <laughs> they, can, they can connect up with you. So let's look at an example. We've got, uh, this isn't of an exit, but uh, OneWeb I want to look at because it, it was a VC funded thing. Uh, it seemed that it was performing a, a service, uh, you know, they were creating the, the infrastructure to perform a service that people were behind. Uh, it was a big deal, and yet it was allowed to die, right? Um, so what, what can space companies do to help uh, themselves not turn out in that fashion? Well, one of the things that we tell space companies a lot, um, as you might imagine, we see some, some interesting pitches. Um, sometimes they, they come to us and they say, you know, for just half a billion dollars, you too can have your own whatever, <laughs> fuel depot in space. Um, Half a billion dollars is a lot of money. Um, and any company that has to consistently raise hundreds of millions of dollars, that's a very, very high risk scenario. Um, as we've seen the last few months, the, the funding market can shift at any time, right? Uh, whether it's a, a, a disease or whether it's just a market downturn or, or right? You never know when the funding uh, market is gonna change or dry up. And so if your entire plan is to continue to fundraise in hundreds of millions of dollars buckets, uh, that's again very, very high risk. And so companies that need a large amount of capital, we are always looking for ways for that to, um, to be split up maybe with debt financing, uh, maybe with uh, you know pre-sales, early customer traction, terrestrial applications for your technology that are more near, near term that can help you get some capital into the business. Um, and so looking at financing as, um, as a risk and looking at ways to de-risk that financing from the beginning can be very, very helpful for the longevity of these companies. And you're not just relying on your one big soft bank investor, then when soft bank changes their mind, you're out of business, right? Um, and so just like with anything in business, don't put all your eggs in one basket, try and de-risk your, 
your plans as much as possible and look at alternate methods of fundraising that don't involve exclusively 100, mil 100 plus million dollar rounds of venture capital. Very cool. Okay. Well, this next question is near and dear to my heart. Um, I did a series of radio interviews in 2014. That's how long <laughs> this goes back. Uh, and it's about career planning. And I, I believe that you know something about uh, directing your own career from the, the several stages or career steps I've seen, uh, you know, from your, your LinkedIn resume to go through to get to where you are now. Uh, I've had four executive positions created for me without any competitors in my time. Uh, obviously, I'm not interested in being somebody's employee anymore, but uh, I know it can be done because I've done it, right? And the first time was the hardest. Uh, so what, what I would like to do is help get that message across to graduate students, young folks who are about to come out of school so that they are not adrift in the ocean of firing resumes off in a, in a blizzard in the hope of, you know, a scattershot approach, producing a job, and then you get stuck into a career and you don't even like it. Suddenly 20 years have gone by, they will go by. You'll turn around and blink three times and suddenly you'll be 40 and you'll be like, what happened here? So what, what I am curious about is uh, what advice you have for young people, especially women, in, in managing their own career? That's, uh, that's a great question. I really appreciate that one. Thank you. Um, and I found that through my career, there were kind of two keys to getting me where I am. And the first one was volunteering. Uh, you kind of mentioned at the top that I sit on all of these boards. That's the kind of penultimate version of the volunteering that I started over a decade ago as a college student, um, volunteering to help at conferences and things like that, um, and still volunteering my time now as, as board member of those organizations. But um, that was the key for me to building my network. So in 2008, I started out as a volunteer for the New Space Conference run by the Space Frontier Foundation. Um, and I, I think that first year I was responsible for putting together the uh, program book that, you know, that had all of the, uh, the programming and the scheduling in it, you know, Microsoft Word document, right? That was my whole volunteer job, but um, didn't take up much of my time. It was kind of a stupid little volunteer job, but it got me into the network and meeting the other volunteers and meeting the board members of that organization at the time and the founders of that organization. Um, and over the years I volunteered uh, for other organizations and other conferences. And in fact, my partner now at Space Fund, Rick Tumlinson, uh, was one of the co-founders of the Space Frontier Foundation. And the way that I originally met him over a decade ago was as college student volunteer. Um, and here we are all these years later as, as partners in a venture capital fund, right? And so um, you never know who you're gonna meet and it's just an absolutely amazing way to build your network. So I would recommend that to everybody. I'll do one more shout out to the Space Frontier Foundation. We are always looking for, for good volunteers. Um, and, you know, my, uh, my other nonprofit, the Center for Space Commerce and Finance that runs the business plan competition, same thing, especially if you're interested in finance or entrepreneurship, it's a great way to get your foot in the door and start meeting the right people. And then I'd say um, the second key to my career was like you said, you know, you've had executive positions created for you. Um, I went out and created my own jobs in a lot of instances, whether it was founding my own nonprofit to do the business plan competitions or um, starting the, the marketing firm. Um, a lot of cases, I just, I just went out and did something and it was scary and it was hard and um, required, you know, support of, of my family and, and, you know, I don't know if I'm gonna get paid next month because I'm gonna go try this new crazy thing. Um, and so it does require 
some risk taking to, to do that. And, and you know, not everybody has that, um, that tendency. Um, but I found that that's where I've had the most success is when I just um, decide to do something and then do it and follow through. And, um, you know, that's worked out quite well for me over the years. Not everything's been a success. There have definitely been failures, but, um, you know, for the most part, uh, you know, if you have a little bit of tenacity and, and you have a good support network, um, you can do just about anything you put your mind to. And so if the perfect job doesn't exist for you, go out and create it. Right on. Yeah. And, and I found going to smaller companies where you can get to the owner more easily and they don't have all these policies and procedures in between. If you can get sort of a value statement in front of them of, look, this is what I can do for you. That's very powerful. So cool. Well, grow your network. That was, that was a huge takeaway I got from, from what you had to say. And that is something that it's never too early to do. And it doesn't take, um, a, you know, a huge amount of effort. It takes consistency. But uh, yeah, if you go and reach out to just one new person a week, that's 52 in a year, right? And, uh, and people are pretty nice overall. You know, you're rarely going to get the door slammed in your face. And if you do, you just go, well, that person's a jerk and move on, right? And, yeah, uh, and remember uh, that. So. I may be setting myself up for a, for a windfall of, of <laughs> here. But one of the things that I, you know, when I get a LinkedIn message from a college student who says, hey, I'm interested in learning more about your career path and what I can do, I always take the time to reply and set up a 30 minute phone call and just have a chat with them because there were people who did that for me 10 years ago. And so I'm always happy to pass that along. And I know so many of my friends and colleagues in this industry feel the same way. So never hesitate to reach out to somebody and just say, hey, I'm interested in, in what you've done with your career and would love to learn more. Most people love to talk about themselves. <laughs> and so, you know, they'll be happy to have a chat with you. And like you said, you do that once a week for a year, you've met 52 new people. Um, and that's 52 potential new opportunities that are, that are in front of you. Right. And yeah, and it's not always linear either. Like I talked to Megan and she's the one who offers me the role. It's, it's sometimes it's just this random thing where you know somebody who knows somebody and you hear about it and there it is. So very cool. Well, you've got the Mission Eve podcast. You're on a specific mission with that podcast. Let's hear it. So um, to date, only 11% of the people who have been to space have been women. And when the broader, broader aerospace industry, only 25% of the employees are women. So one of the goals for my life is to see the permanent human settlement of space. And if we're talking about human settlements, you're gonna need 51% women. And you can talk to me about test tube babies all day. I don't care. People are still gonna to wanna to have nuclear families. You're gonna need 51% women just biologically. So how do we get from 11% of history space explorers being women to 51% in a human settlement in space? And for me, the more women I've talked to about this over the years, women are just as inspired by space and interested in space as men, but they don't necessarily see themselves in this industry because they don't have the role models to look up to. And we know that there's statistically less women in STEM. And so one of the things I'm really trying to do with the Mission Eve podcast is say, yes, we need more women in STEM, but there's so many other roles in this industry you don't have to be a rocket scientist or an engineer. This industry is just like any other. It's a commercial industry. And if you have a skill set that's valuable in oil and gas, that skill set's going to be valuable in space too, whether that's accounting or marketing or finance, whatever your skill set or background is, that can be applied to the space industry. And so I, I love to talk to women with 
all kinds of different careers, um, whether it's business development or running a nonprofit or being a college professor or working on policy. I mean, there's just all these great positions and roles in the industry that I don't think many women know exist. And so the goal is to get more women to join the industry by telling the stories of the women who are already doing it. Awesome. Awesome. And uh, that's one reason why I wanted to have you on, like we talked about a little bit before the show, is to be that role model, because people do need to see examples and go, oh, I could do that. Right. And <laughs> you've seen it. Absolutely. And you can. Uh, so b being, <laughs> how shall I put this politely, a member of the persistent group who has stuck it out with their podcast more than a couple of episodes, because that's where most of them die. Uh, you're a member of a, of a select club, <laughs> I'd say. What, what have you learned that's impressed you the most about being a podcast host? Um, you know, one of the things that I was concerned about at the beginning of Mission Eve was being able to find enough guests who were, who were you know, both women in the space industry and willing to be on the podcast. Um, and that was the thing I should have been the least, least concerned about. I've got, you know, I've got potential guests coming at me from, from everywhere, which I love. And I'm just so, my heart is so uh, warmed to see that, to see the level of interest and in, in how many women are not only interested in, in the podcast, but interested in sharing their stories. So, um, so that's been very, uh, very interesting and heartwarming to me to see the number of women who want to be involved and, and who are actively supporting and, and promoting the podcast um, for me. So that's, it's been wonderful to have that support. And then um, I've been very, very lucky. My, my producer, Aaron Pagel, has been just absolutely fantastic so that I don't have to worry about any of the technical stuff or any of that. So I'd say that if you really want to be successful podcasting, find a partner, find somebody who's done it before who can be a mentor or you know what I mean to to kind of help you get over all those technical hurdles so that you can just relax and and be yourself as a podcast host right right okay yeah I don't I haven't used a producer on this show uh, but I had like 10 years of public speaking and video experience before that so it made it a lot easier so I can understand how daunting it might seem um, folks think that the technical side of it's the most difficult when they start out but it is not uh, the the persistence is probably the most difficult where you're, you know, the churn basically where you've got to keep putting an effort on it and, and reaching out and, and whatnot. So, but uh, I, I enjoy the opportunities like this where you get to meet people you might not otherwise meet. So exactly, exactly. And, really and one thing that I did with my podcast just to kind of make it easier for me to handle and a little bit more bite-sized is that we're only doing 14 or 15 episodes per season. And so I, I noticed that you're on um, 146, I think, is how many podcasts you've done over three years. That's amazing. That's a huge number. Um, so congratulations. The persistence, like you said, that's really important and that's great. And um, in my case, having a, a smaller season is a little easier for me to, to break off and, and deal with amongst my, my other duties. And so that's made it a little easier for me. Right. Well, cool. Well, where can people go? Where should people go, Megan, to find out more about you, connect with you, and learn about Space Fund, Brand Delta V, and the Mission Eve podcast? Great question. So uh, linkedin.com backslash Megan, M-E-A-G-A-N, um, and um, Space Fund website. And uh, Mission Eve is available on your favorite podcasting platform. Just to, you know, give it a search in Spotify, Google, we're on YouTube. Um, and then Mission Eve is a project of my nonprofit, which is the Center for Space Commerce and Finance. So you can find us on the web at CSCF, that's Charlie Sam, Charlie Frank, dot space. Um, and 
So, um, and branddeltav.com if you're interested in marketing services. Uh, but yeah, probably best just to start with my LinkedIn and, and work your way out from there. All right. I'll link to these things in the description below. So very cool. All right, Megan, thanks for being here. I've really learned a lot. Thank you for having me, Jason. This is Jason Canningham from Cold Star Tech. Thanks a lot for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you do want to get email notifications of upcoming episodes or episodes that have just been released and maybe a little news sprinkled in here and there, you can sign up for email notifications at coldstartech.com slash MSB. That's short for Make Space Boring. That's another little show that I do. It's uh, once, twice, three times a week, something like that. Anytime there's news or uh, an update on who I'm meeting and, and what I'm uh, studying in the space field. So you can go check that out. On the YouTube channel, I can do something that I cannot do on uh, Anchor for the audio-only side of things. The YouTube channel allows me to have playlists, and so you might want to go to the channel, the Cold Star Tech channel, and check out those playlists because you will find, you can go down a rabbit hole basically into several areas like space law and policy, uh, small sats, and I think that's a lot easier than trying to scroll through 130 episodes or something like that, (laughs) looking for the thing that you want, so I recommend going and checking that out. And remember, if you're ready to take your space business to the next level or you're a VC looking for a deep and very valuable insight into a space company you're looking at investing in or investing further in, come and talk to us. Thanks for listening. 